This morning we're jumping into John chapter 4, a relatively um, familiar part of the text, um, the story of the woman at the well. And um, I think that Christ has some uh, powerful things for us this morning as we understand the power of the living water and what that means and what that meant for the Samaritan woman, but also what it means for us today and how we think about then um, what does it mean to serve others and how that can change our lives. That's what we're going to be spending some time with this morning as we do that. Let's pray for God's presence and blessing. We thank you, Father for your word. And we're mindful, Lord, that um, there is something so unique about these scriptures, that there is a power there unlike any other written word, and that your presence lives in them as you have reminded us that the scriptures are your breath, your word to us, and you dwell in them, and you move through them. And you speak to our hearts. And Lord, although certainly we live in a world that has many different opinions or thoughts about what these words are, what they mean, how we should see them, Lord, move in us that we long for them as your voice to us. We pray that we can experience that this morning, that we experience your voice to us wherever we might be. Lord, maybe we're simply hungry for learning. Maybe we need a word of comfort or of hope. Maybe we need a word of challenge or admonishment. Speak to us how you will. And through your Holy Spirit and because of the work of Jesus Christ, Father, may you, the triune God, show up. May I disappear and you be present that we might be blessed. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said together, amen. Um, So recently I've uh, started doing a lot of walking and um, I walk the same route um, through uh, my area of Redlands and um, it's a pretty significant route, and, and it just, because I know how long it is, and I sort of, um, like, you map it out so you don't have to cross too many really busy streets, and you don't have to go by this thing, or, you know, you, you just sort of figure out what the best route is. So my route um, ends up taking me on a particular part of Barton Road, and some of you may know that part of the road, where I'm heading down Barton Road towards Loma Linda, and right before I end up turning left on Terrace and take Terracina all the way up the hill towards the hospital. And if you've ever walked on that sidewalk as many times as I have, you've discovered something. That whoever the caretakers of that particular apartment building are, or maybe it's the city's fault, I don't know, but somebody has a broken sprinkler head, they need Gene Zavenbergen to come by and fix it, and it's been for months like literally months, because I've been walking for a few months. And because of this particular sprinkler head and the way the sidewalk is graded, there's a spot that's about maybe 30 to 40 feet long where there's a little slit that's as wide as my shoe where I can walk without getting wet. The rest of it is a puddle. And because that water has just been added to and then evaporated some over hot days, um, but it hasn't moved, 
what do you think that water looks like? If it's in there for months. Like it's stagnant. It's disgusting. The sidewalk is, is I think there's like, if, if someone's looking for a cure for some disease, you might find it in this piece of water because the stuff growing out of there is just gross and disgusting. There's nowhere for that water to go. What would be what we would call dead water. Anyone want to come with me after church and we'll go get a drink? Right? We don't like dead water. Now, compare that to um, something that I experienced as a kid. As a kid, my, um, my dad um, bought a, a farm. He called it a farm. It wasn't really a farm. It was a bunch of trees and rocks. This is in, in Ontario, Canada. And it was a bunch of trees and rocks. And he actually, over the course of time, carved a walking trail in it that was about maybe two or three miles long. And we could walk through this whole thing. Um, this farm that we had when, during the winter, we would go cross-country skiing. The reason I hated, and I hated the farm, is because every time we went there, we had to work. You know that when you know, it's like one of those character building. I hated having my character built as a kid. On Saturday morning, my dad would, would get us up uh, at about five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to go up to the farm and stack the wood that he was cutting or, or do this or do that. We had to paint like a mile long fence. Like, I don't want any more character, dad. Leave me alone. But on this trail was this really cool spot. And there was a little hill, and um, at the top of this hill, there were some rocks, and in the rocks, there was a spring. And the spring came out, and it came out pretty substantially enough that it would actually have water falling down the rocks. And because water was falling down the rocks, it was always, I mean, you're one of those kids, it's something you jump in, you play in, you try to make a mess in, right? And if our dad wasn't there, then we would be around the little spring and goofing around. But the great thing was, is you want a drink of that? Well, absolutely. I mean, that was the sort of water that when you took a drink of it, it was life-giving. Instead of the dead water over on, on uh, Barton Road, this was living water. And so for us to think about those images in our mind, what, what water looks like, a flowing river being li- living water because it keeps moving and the water keeps changing. Something like, you know, I mean, we have this beautiful body of water right near us, right? The Salton Sea. Anyone want to go on vacation there? Right? Salton Sea is dead water. The Colorado River comes and stops there. It doesn't flow out. And so, of course, that's a disgusting place. And if we know if the wind blows wrong here in Redlands, we can smell it a couple times a year, right? The difference between living water and dead water is dramatic. And that's the image that we get here in our story from the book of John. Christ offers living water. To a woman who has experienced nothing but drinking from dead water. Let's begin by reading the first nine verses. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. By the way, you notice that? Jesus didn't baptize. Has anyone ever thought of that? 
Christ never baptized. We see nowhere in Scripture that he baptized anyone. His disciples did. And, of course, John did. I wonder why that is. I have some thoughts. I'll go over that some other time. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So we start off with this distinction in the text that is really quite important to the story. And that is that Jesus is in this area of Samaria, thus Samaritan. It's, Samaria is a large city, and the area around it was called um, Samaria as well, the province, and the people there then were called Samaritans. And there was obviously some level of animosity between the Samaritan people and the people of Jerusalem and Galilee, and of course, Nazareth, Nazareth where Jesus was from, that sort of, there was animosity. Now, it's interesting because we would think, okay, it's a cultural split, and to some degree it certainly is, but the truth is that there were also significant populations of Jews in Samaria as well. In fact, enough so that we will see later in the text that the woman knows the story of God, right? We're going to hear that a little later on. She has been exposed to God's story, and how would she be exposed to that? She would be exposed to that by the Jews of Samaria. But it didn't matter, because if you, as a Jew from Nazareth, from Galilee, from Jerusalem, engaged in people from Samaria, Samaritans, there was tradition in the rabbinic literature that would say you would be unclean. Not of the law of God, not in the Old Testament prophets in the law, but certainly in the rabbinic tradition. Being involved with people from Samaria would make you unclean. Add to that the fact that this person is a woman. So Jesus engaging with a woman, okay, and you could never tell. I mean, that was part of the challenge, right? Especially in the Old Testament laws. You could never tell when a woman might be unclean. It's interesting because this woman is actually making some decisions that may give us wonder whether or not she was unclean. She's at Jacob's well. That's not the town well. She actually had to walk a couple of miles to go to Jacob's well. It was out of town, away from things. Do you think maybe she wanted to not engage with the world of her town? Maybe she was looking to be away because perhaps she was unclean. We know what makes a woman unclean in the Old Testament if she was perhaps on her, perhaps on her menstrual cycle. Maybe she knew enough of God's story that she was trying to live into Jewish law and tradition, but she didn't have it figured out yet. But obviously, this woman wants some alone time away from others, but she comes to this well and hears this man, and this man breaks all tradition because he is a Jew, he is a man, he is a rabbi, and he engages with the Samaritan woman, not knowing, or at least might assume, 
He is Jesus, he knows some stuff, but not knowing at least what her full and complete story was. Was he making himself unclean? That's why her question, how can you talk to me? You shouldn't be doing this. You don't know who I am. You don't know whether or not I will mess up your cleanliness by engaging with me. In fact, you can pretty much be assured because I'm a Samaritan that you have. And yet Jesus is willing to cross that cultural line. Why is he willing to do that? I think there's two reasons. The first reason is because he has something to say to the woman. Of course, we're going to see that. We're going to see that through the rest of the text. Here's the other side of it. I think that Jesus engages with her for one reason that's really important. He's thirsty. He's been walking. Obviously, he's hungry because he sent the disciples for food. He's thirsty here at the well, which is an interesting thing for this reason. It means that this well... Becomes a crossroads for something. Jesus speaks pretty quickly here in a moment of his nature. And his nature is the deity of God. He is God. He tells her that and lets her know that at this crossroads. But he does it, what? Through his humanity. Because he's thirsty. This is an affirmation of who Christ is to the world. He is one who offers hope and life as the God, the Son of God, and the one and only Son of God. But he does it in the fullness of his humanity. One that can identify with the story of the woman. That's why their conversation continues. Let's see how it continues. Verses 10 through 12 says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now again, we just talked about the difference between living water and dead water. Here, Jacob's well, Jacob's well is fed by a spring. Now the challenge that we have is, is that archaeologically they cannot find Jacob's well. They don't know where it is anymore. Apparently either the spring has dried up or it's been lost to history. But this spring, when it was functioning, was considered living water. If you drew up water and you took all the water that was in the well, it wouldn't take long for it to fill up again. Why? Because there was a living spring. And here Jesus is saying to this woman, you think you're getting living water, but you're not. What you're getting is a shadow, but I'm here. I'm here, and not only am I here, but I'm present with you. Now, I think there's a really important lesson for us here. Because I think that Jesus is showing her the difference between what it means to give something give to, or to be with. Here's what I mean. Um, We know that in this community, we have spent a lot of time over the past number of years with people who are homeless, people who are are poor and um, are struggling with hunger and with, with the issues of poverty. 
And we know that that has been a lot of hard work and challenging work. Certainly there's been some changes now with Lunch Bunch meeting with Ross and Sandy Cooper in their home. But part of the reason I think that we've experienced how challenging that ministry is is because we stopped doing one thing in order to do another. Instead of being a church that gives to people, meaning when somebody says, I have a need, and we're going to try to fill that need. I'm hungry, give food. I don't have enough to pay my utilities, give money to pay bills. I don't have a house to live in. We work hard to try to help people find a place to live, giving to them. Now, that's good, and that's helpful, and that's beneficial, but it's much harder to live with. Because living with means that we begin to intertwine our lives together. Let me give you an example of how that is challenging. Just think about your marriage. Think about some of the challenges of the first six, eight, ten months. Maybe for some of you, the first 35 years, all right? Some of the challenges that you faced in moving from um, this relationship that was at a distance to living with somebody where you had to make a lot of adjustments and figure some things out. I say, oftentimes I tell people who I, when I do premarital counseling, marriage is a great way to find out how selfish you are, Right? Because living with somebody forces us to figure out how selfish we are. When we're living with somebody who's going through some of the challenges of poverty, living with them means we need to give up ourselves. They give up themselves. And we begin to build an identity together. And that's really, 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 really hard work sometimes. It means that some things are at risk for us. Some things have to change for us. Some challenges have to be broached for that to happen. And in our text, Jesus is willing to walk that through. He doesn't just say to her, here's the water. He has the conversation. And it's a conversation that lasts. If we look at the stories of the Gospels, we see oftentimes Jesus enters into a relationship with somebody, but it's very short, 10, 15 minutes. He will heal somebody, maybe an hour, but it looks like he spent perhaps the rest of the day with this woman. And this woman, because of her experience, begins to be the best evangelist in the history of this town. Living with this woman in a level of relationships, in a level of relationship changed her life. Let's see how that works. Verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, this water you draw from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Neither, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband, which is a really interesting way to answer, right? You're right. You don't have a husband. I mean, it, it, quite stark in his response. The fact is, you've had five. And the man you have now, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. 
Huh, interesting. Jesus ups the ante. Because he's not just saying this in the broad, big picture terms. He's not just offering her living water just because she's a a person and living water, you know, eternal life would be good for her. He's making it intensely personal. He's moving beyond the big picture into the specifics of one person. And for us to be able to hear that, The way that we then think about the work of Jesus. How we engage in being living water to the world around us. Not being, and and you've seen these folks, right? They, They have the signs on the corner. You know, Jesus saves. Or some of the things that can make me crazy sometimes are the billboards on the road that, that tell you something about who God is. And I'm, I'm certainly grateful that there's scripture out there and I hope somebody engages with it. But frankly, sometimes I think that's just a religious grenade that people throw to generally hope they proclaim the gospel. Jesus moves beyond simply telling her truth to saying, here's how it works in your life. It's a relationship. He's moving to where it gets personal. He's doing the hard work of moving beyond the barrier of impersonality to saying, you know what, lady, I know your story. And because I know your story, I want to speak life into your story. And for us to hear that for our lives, friends, there have been a lot of religious grenades that we've thrown out and hoped somehow or other something explodes and the spirit moves. Instead of being able to move beyond and get into the personal stuff, And especially when we see it in light of this being a Samaritan woman, one whom we should not be speaking to. One whom it is uncomfortable, it is challenging, it breaks the mold of what is expected of us. Here, that's exactly what Jesus is doing, and he's willing to be personal in it, and to go deep, and go beyond just the pleasantries of making sure that somebody knows John 3.16, and instead finds out what their lives look like so that they can dig in together. And the impact of digging in is dramatic. Verse 19 says this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I don't think she said it like I just said it. I think she looked at him and goes, Sir, you're crazy. And this is awesome. And you must be a prophet. Because how could you know that about me? And then she starts to ask the religious questions because she knows the story, right? She says, our ancestors worship on this mountain. She knew the story of Judaism. She knew how this worked. But you Jews claim that the place where you must worship, we must worship, is in Jerusalem. So there's some commonality. Maybe she's, she's part of the other Jews. Maybe she's a part of, instead of Judea, maybe she's part of Israel. 
or maybe she's, she's part of Ishmael's line. Who knows how this story all works, but she has enough exposure to the story to know enough to wonder, what do you think, Jesus? Help me understand. I'm hungry now for more than I was before because you went deep with me and I believe that you have an answer. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation. It's from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father speaks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that, this is interesting how she says it, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So, This woman all of a sudden is asking questions she's wondering because Jesus has broken the barrier of her person. He said, you are a woman who has been married many times. You have been drinking dead water. You've been seeking life from these relationships with men and you have seen what they have given you. They haven't given you life, they've given you pain. And here it is, I am. I offer you living water. And he offers himself, yes, but he also begins to talk about the spirit because he knows he's going to leave her soon. And he wants her to understand that, guess what? The God who is present now with you in me will be present with you always. Friends, that's a wonderful, important evangelism key. For us to be able to, when we share the story with others, remind them that the spirit that is alive in this moment of our conversation will be with you always because that's how faithful the spirit is. What's, what's really interesting is that this woman just came for some water, right? It was a normal everyday activity. Something simple. She had to do it anyway. Maybe she could have gone to the closer well. She decided to go to the other one. We wonder why. Maybe it's because she's unclean. Maybe it's because she doesn't want to deal with it. Can you imagine what her, person, or what her reputation was in the town? She's on her, what, fifth, sixth husband? How do you think she was treated in the city? She was just trying to get away. And all of a sudden she meets this guy and her life changes. Normal every day stuff and all of a sudden she meets Jesus. Normal every day stuff and all of a sudden she meets Jesus. What's your normal every day stuff? Supermarket? Stater Brothers. How many of you are Stater Brothers people? Albertsons people? Vaughn's? You Albertsons and Vaughn's. I don't know how you afford it. I'm sorry. Normal everyday stuff. Who knows if it's your well moment? 
Who knows if the person that you end up meeting and picking out what kind of flower you want, all of a sudden that conversation moves into a person at the well moment. It's interesting. My wife's not here this morning. If she were here, she would tell you. Whenever she, she gets scared to go to the grocery store now. You know why? I don't know what it is about her, but people, as soon as they see her, trust her to tell them her, their whole story. She's had it like 10 times. She'll go to, she'll go to um, Stater Brothers to get like a, a head of lettuce, and she won't come home for like 45 minutes. I'm like, what happened? I mean, did they have to go and harvest it or what? And she'll tell me, I don't know what happened, but there was this lady there, and she started telling me her story. We ended up talking for 45 minutes. I said, who was she? She goes, I don't know. She's had moments at the well many times in normal everyday activities where all of a sudden Christ has showed up. If we have eyes but to see. Now what are you going to do for the rest of the day today? Normal everyday stuff. You're going to, maybe a bunch of you go to Panera afterwards. You're going to go to Panera. It's what you do every week, all right? Normal everyday stuff. Is Jesus there? Is that kiosk where you do your ordering the well? Where you meet somebody? Because here's the thing. This woman's life was changed, wasn't it? If you're wondering, look at the next section. Look at what happens next. The disciples come back, and how do they respond? It's an affront to them. This, Jesus, are you blind? This is a woman who's a Samaritan. Like, dude, come on, use your brain. Talk to somebody else, not her. And he, of course, continues to do what Jesus does. And that is love and share truth in the everyday life. And what happens to the woman she becomes the evangelist. Her life in doing something every day, ordinary activity is changed because she met Jesus. Now, friends, I don't know who you are in this story, who you're picturing yourself as. Am I Jesus or am I the woman? And I say, yes. Because sometimes you are the Jesus person in the story who brings truth and who brings life and who brings hope to somebody in their everyday ordinary world. But sometimes you're the woman. And sometimes in you just simply asking a question and being open to what God might do in a conversation with another person, you might in fact be entertaining the angels of God himself. But you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. See, I'm different than Kristen when I go to staters. I am tunnel vision. I am focused. I have a map or I have a, a grocery list app on my phone. That is like my gospel when I go to the grocery store. It's what I buy. I go and get it. I get focused. And unless I know you really well, or unless you see me first and call my name, the probability of me talking to you is very slim. I just, it's just how I work. I don't know. I don't hate you. There's some people I might avoid. And 
I won't tell you about those folks. But when I go to Staters, I, I'm focused. I'm going to get my stuff and I'm going to get out. And as I was reading this passage this week, I actually got a little bit convicted. I got a little bit convicted asking the question, how many angels have I missed? Or how many times have I missed the opportunity to give living water? Where have I missed Jesus? When we say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all that we have, isn't going to the grocery store, isn't going to work every day, isn't sitting in the classroom, isn't sitting on the sidelines, isn't doing our yard work, isn't going to family activities, isn't whatever it is that we do every single moment of every single day an opportunity to experience the grace and the love of Jesus Christ? And the answer, of course, is yes. Which means that whatever it is that you do, friends, do it all for the glory of God. And I make a covenant with you this morning. I covenant that when I go to Stater Brothers, I go to Stater Brothers for the glory of God. And I hope and I pray that there is a story of entertaining angels in that presence, of meeting the woman or being the woman of experience God's presence in front of, well, I'll pick the holy place of the grocery store, the butcher. Meeting someone that God is glorified in that conversation, in that moment. Question that I have for you, and this is practical. Practical. When you drive out of this driveway, where are you going next? What are you doing next? And when you get there, Are you willing to ask the question, is this a time for me to drink? Or is this a time for me to offer a drink? Let's pray. Father, in this story, you give us lots of stuff. And you challenge us to think about what Christ did, how Christ lived into being willing to cross lines and barriers, being willing to, in a sense, risk, have the first question, the first sentence, the first part of the conversation. And then, Lord, we see what happened. We see that you are glorified and that water was offered, the living water. And it changed the story in beautiful ways. Father, I pray that you quicken your spirit in us in those moments. Maybe, Lord, it's when we go this week to the grocery store. Maybe it's when we go to school. Maybe it's when we run into somebody while we're shopping elsewhere. Maybe it's even on social media or in our workplace. Lord, maybe it's in our homes or in our family activities. Whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you meet us in those moments. Lord, quicken our spirit to love you with all that we are. To move beyond the conventional things that we do. The things that are easy. The things that are normal. The things that are simple. That we, we, we are willing instead to, in faith, say, Lord, you can use this moment. And maybe you will. 
And maybe we can hear or be able to tell the story of of people who've used that moment and been surprised by a glimpse of your grace and your power and your love, that they were willing to take a risk, to cross a barrier, to talk to somebody, speak to somebody, offer a drink to somebody that they wouldn't have before. And Lord, if that happens, may you receive the glory for it. I pray, Lord, that that might be a switch that you turn on in our brain today. That whatever it is that we do, when we do it for your glory, it means that there's a moment of glory ahead. And we can catch a glimpse of what that glory is. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Christ we pray, amen.